Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would now work through your word in such a way that you summon forth from us everything that we have and are and can be for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would call forth heroic acts of self-sacrificial love on the part of husbands as they lay down their lives for their wives. I pray that you would cause young men to be courageous and brave and adventurous and that they would stand up and be men ready to take on a wife, ready to bring children into the world for whom they will work and serve and give themselves until they die. And Lord, I pray that you would be equipping your people for the work of the ministry. I pray that you would so work through your word that, that the women among us would rejoice to be women and that they would gladly embrace what you've called them to do. I pray that the, the children here would have their hearts awakened to the wonder of the mercy that you have shown to the world in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would cause to happen exactly what Peter described when he spoke of us like living stones being built up into a spiritual house to render praise to you. Lord, make us, by the power of the gospel, in the name of Christ, make us a holy nation, a royal priesthood, your people. Lord, we pray that that you would, again, we pray that you would cause Kenwood Baptist Church to be more influential in the city of Louisville than Churchill Downs. We pray that more people would have their lives transformed by the gospel than have had their lives ruined by gambling. Lord, we pray that you would do great things. We pray that you would do a work in our day that results in the churches of this city being revitalized. We pray that you would raise up many people who will go around the world to plant churches, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. Lord, more than I can ask or think we ask, but we pray that you would meet us now and cause us to be those who are satisfied by you. Cause us to be those who know that there is none like you. Convince us that there is nothing better for us to give our lives for. Grip us, we pray, by the power of your word. Transform us by your spirit. Renew us as we behold your glory in the face of Christ. And we ask that you would do all this for the glory of your great name. Amen. I would invite you to open this morning to Exodus chapter 35. And we will be looking at Exodus chapters 35 through 40. That's five chapters. So we won't, we won't be going uh, verse by verse through this passage. But I think that we can work through this passage in such a way that you'll feel its power. And I hope you will understand its meaning. And then I hope that you will respond to it as God intended when he inspired Moses to write this text. As we begin... 
uh, I want to think with you about something that some of you may know this name, Howard Slusher. He was an agent who well, worked for Phil Knight at Nike, and then he represented a number of professional athletes um, throughout the years, and he died. He lived from 1937 to 2022, and he recently died. And in his obituary, um, the, the writer of the obituary writes this paragraph. He says, in the 1960s, Mr. Slusher wrote a book, Man, Sport, and Existence, a, criti a Critical Analysis, exploring why sports matter and what impels athletes to push themselves beyond their ordinary limits. And I know there are many athletes in the room, and I know that we've, those of us who have played sports, those of us who have trained for sports, those who maybe are training, this is exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to push yourself beyond ordinary limits. You're trying to get more out of yourself than might even be ordinarily possible with what you've been given. And then Schlusher wrote this, to many, listen to these words, sport becomes what religion was. To many, sport becomes what religion was. It serves as the prevailing attempt to keep order and loyalty. Sport becomes what religion was because people live for this. People, they, they give themselves to this. They devote themselves to it. Lying in bed at night, they're thinking about how to get stronger or faster or more capable. When they wake up in the morning, as they evaluate what they're going to eat, they're thinking about how is this going to aid me in my great cause. And my hope for our time together is that you will see that Pursuing this great cause that's been given to us of walking with God, knowing him, and carrying out the great commission that the Lord Christ has given to us is better and bigger than sport. And for those of you that are broken down and retired, like, like I am now, you've got something to live for even though your playing days are over. And, and I hope that, that you'll embrace this vision and that you'll give yourself to the work that, that we're trying to pursue here at Kenwood in service to this greater cause, and I, and I hope that, that you'll feel a new motivation and a new drive to go after this with everything you've got. So as we look at Exodus 35 through 40 today, um, I, 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 you know, if I was going to do a, a dissertation on this passage, I suspect that I could find a chiastic structure in it. But um, in, in the amount of time that I had to prepare this week, I just couldn't get to that. So, you know, some, some things you have to leave in the Bible and say, I'm going to come back to this hopefully someday and get to study it in more depth. Maybe there's somebody here that's thinking about a dissertation to do. Listen, that, that would be a good topic, you know. I think, I think the literary structure of Exodus 35 through 40 needs to be explored. Um, I'm going I'm to present a kind of imposed structure that, that summarizes the eight big ideas that I want to make from this passage. And um, uh, fathers, I would encourage you to, to note down this word and to quiz your kids on it. Uh, in, when, you, when you gather together, maybe on the drive home or this evening at, at dinner or whatever, uh, before the kids go to bed, and you say, uh, kids, let's talk together about the sermon. So um, you, know, you know what's coming, guys. Um, so the word is creation. The word is creation. And this is an acronym. I almost never do this. But, but the sermon is going to be an acronym. And we're just going to walk through the letters of the word creation. And this is going to take us through Exodus 35 through 40. So our first word is command. 
And, and before we take up the way that, that the Lord commanded regarding the, the building of the tabernacle and the way that they built everything as the Lord had commanded, before we address that, I just want to put it on the table again that the command comes after the deliverance. In other words, it's not when the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt that he commanded them uh, to build him the tabernacle. No, what he did when they were enslaved in Egypt was he delivered them. He broke their bonds. He made them walk erect. He brought them out of the house of slavery, out of the house of bondage. And he did this. You remember what, the Mo what Moses was instructed to say to Pharaoh? He did this that they might serve me in the wilderness. So the whole purpose of the Exodus is now being achieved as God gives the people the commandments or the commands to build the tabernacle and as they build the tabernacle he 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 got them out that they might serve him and even there this is not about God having needs this is not about God wanting people to do things for him um, my family makes fun of me there are some ways in which I serve at the house there are other ways in which I don't serve and one of the ways in which I don't serve is I don't do any cooking and, and I would just prefer for somebody else to solve the food problem for me. And so the kids make fun of me because uh, my, my wife will, you know, she'll sometimes put the food out buffet style and, and she'll say, everyone get your own food. And, and I'll always say to her, would you please get me a plate of food? <laughs> will you do this for me? That's not how the Lord is. The Lord doesn't need people to serve him. This is about you enjoying knowing God for, for the people of Israel serving the Lord at the tabernacle. This is about them experiencing the whole point of existence to walk with God. So to serve the Lord is, is really to do, as we sang, what you were made to do. Okay, so now having said all this, these are not commandments that the Lord is not saying, you know, build yourself a ladder into heaven. He's saying, I've delivered you. Now here's how you can know me. Uh, look, at, look at Exodus 35, verse 1. Moses assembled all the con congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. And then he go, he's going to go through uh, the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. But what I want to draw your attention to here is the way that ten times in Exodus chapters 35 through 40, most of these ten are in Exodus 35 and 6, you have this phrase that you see there in, in verse 4 when it says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. And that phrase, that the Lord has commanded, occurs 10 times in Exodus 35 through 40. Most of those 10 are in 35 and 36. Just a, a couple others are sprinkled through like chapters 38 and 39. So look, for instance, in verse 10. Let every skillful, skillful craftsman come you and make all that the Lord has commanded. Verse 30, Moses said to the people of Israel, uh, I'm sorry, that's not one, sorry. 36, uh, 1 is the next one I want. At the end of the verse, in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So that phrase, that the Lord has commanded, this is the way that they're going to build the tabernacle. They're going to build it in accordance with God's commandments. Now, we're not building a tabernacle. We are not Old Testament Israel. We are not a, an ethnic group of people that are in covenant with God. We are a church, but the church is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 
And in the same way that God had specific instructions for Israel about how the tabernacle was to be constructed, the scriptures, the New Testament, have, has very specific instructions about how the church is to be run. And the New Testament has very specific instructions about how we are to pursue our lives. And I want to encourage us all to think in terms of knowing and living in accordance with those instructions. And to do that, you have to know the Bible. You have to know the Bible. You have to be in the Bible. You have to regularly be meditating day and night on the scriptures. So this is, here's your application. This is just another call to be people of the book. We want, if, if you're not somebody who is on a daily basis spending time with the scriptures, and that can, that can take any number of forms, I think it is totally valid to be memorizing a big swath of scripture and your time in the scripture is to be meditating on part of that that you've memorized. And that's, maybe that's all you get to. I think it's totally valid for you to be saying, I am going to read uh, this particular book of the Bible over and over for the next six months until I have, know the thing backwards and forwards. And I know how this author has, has used these words. And that's all I'm doing is reading that one book. I think it's totally valid to be reading through the whole Bible in a year. My point is it can take any form, but we got to be in the scriptures. we got to be in the scriptures, and it's got to be regular. Commandments. Yahweh commanded. Uh, in addition to the ten times that you have this phrase, that the Lord has commanded in Exodus 35 and 36, <laughs> over in, in chapters 39 and 40, 15 times you have this phrase, as the Lord had commanded. It's almost the exact same Hebrew phrase, uh, but it's just slightly different. And, and the difference is, is reflected in the way that the ESV renders one, that the Lord has commanded, and the other, as the Lord commanded. So that phrase, as the Lord commanded, occurs 15 times just in chapters 39 and 40. Over and over and over, we're going to read that they constructed the tabernacle as the Lord had commanded. So that's your first word, your C, command. Uh, the Lord uh, gives these instructions, and Israel builds the tabernacle in accordance with the, with the instructions. R, your next, your next letter. Look at the way that the people responded from the heart. Okay, so command, response. The people responded from the heart. Look at verse 5. Moses says, Take from among you a con this is chapter 35, 35, 5. Take from among you a contribution of the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. They respond from the heart. Verse 21, they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. Verse 22 of chapter 35. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. Down in verse 26, all the women whose hearts stirred them. Verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them. We could go on this way, but you get the point. The people of Israel are responding from the heart to the instructions, and they get it done. They build the tabernacle. Now, we know that um, as they continue, this heart-level response is going to fade. Tragically, the people of Israel, they're, they're kind of like the parable of, the, of the, the seed that falls on the different kinds of soil. 
And for many of these people, it appears that they were rocky soil. And maybe the, 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 the roots sprung up really fast, but then because it didn't, have, it didn't have any depth and it didn't have any water, it withered. And, and, and you know what happens to the people of Israel. By the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, down to this very day, God has not given you the heart that you need to keep this law. So, uh, so the, the, this heart level response here is really, really good. Their problem is that it didn't last. It didn't last. So we want to be about cultivating a response to God's commandments that will last. And the way that we do this, the path to this, again, is regular time in the word. And I want to bring in at this point um, a, a point of application from the book of Jude. Uh, Jude, a verse, Jude only has one chapter. So I want, to, I want to draw your attention to Jude verse 20. And, and here's why I'm going to Jude 20. You know, if you, if you read the book of Jude, uh, Jude takes the whole history of Israel and all these things that happened in the Old Testament, and he treats those things typologically as prefiguring things that are going on in the church. So it's almost like Jude is saying, here's how you apply, here's how you respond to the Old Testament. And this is what he says here in Jude verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. So the way to, to not be somebody that responds from the heart initially and then you wither is right there. That's how you do it. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. What does that look like? Well, we need to be growing in our personal uh, disciplines and, and spending time in the word. We need to be invested in the life of the local church. We need to be recognizing that, that this is where the Lord Jesus is doing his work in the world. Jesus said, I will build my church. And so what do we do? We're, we're, we're building ourselves up. In, your, in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God, and then, it, and then it goes on. And, you know, you can just go through the one another's of the New Testament. This, these are the things that we need to be giving ourselves to. These are the things that we need to be committing ourselves to. We want to respond from the heart. As I thought about this, uh, Vin Scully died this past week. Maybe, maybe some of you are familiar with this famous um, Major League Baseball broadcaster. He was the broadcaster for the, the Dodgers, started out in Brooklyn back in the 50s, moved with them to Los Angeles, 67 years. He, he was behind the microphone calling the games for the Dodgers. And everything that I read about Vin Scully indicated that he was a fabulous person. He, he, he got there early, he talked to everybody, he built relationships, he was a great guy. He persevered in the work for 67 years. And that, that's, that's what we must do. We, we want to hear the commands of God, and then we want to respond. And we want to respond in a way that perseveres to the end. So creation, response, your, your, your next uh, letter is letter, letter E, and it's the word equipped. And, and for that, let me draw your attention to the way that in, at the end of chapter 35, look at, Look at Exodus 35, 31. Actually, I'll start reading in verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name 
Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. You know, it's interesting when, when we read words like skill or, or craftsmanship in this text, what stands behind that is a phrase that you could render wise of heart. To be wise of heart for a particular job is to be a craftsman. So to have wisdom is to have life craftsmanship. And, and there is no better place for you to get wisdom or life's craft, life craftsmanship than the scriptures. There's no better place in the scriptures for that than the Proverbs. You should be, I mean, you're just going to hear me over and over say, study the scriptures. You should be regularly reading the book of Proverbs and asking the Lord to, to answer the prayer of James 1.5. If any, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all, and he will give it to you. So these guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, they are equipped. Look at what it goes on to say. Look at verse 34 of Exodus 35. He has inspired him. I mean, literally it says he has put it into his heart to teach. Both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, Verse 35, he has filled them with skill, literally again. He has given them wisdom of heart to do every sort of work. And then 36.1, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman, everyone wise of heart, in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary. And that word construction is the word uh, service. It's, it's uh, the Lord, you know, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt that you might serve me in the wilderness. Uh, to any work of service of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman, everyone wise of heart, in whose mind, in whose heart the Lord had put skill or wisdom, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. The Lord will not command you to do something that he doesn't equip you to do. If, if the Lord calls you to do something, he will equip you to do it. I mean, the tabernacle that Israel is, is, is to, to build, these are slaves. These are people that were doing manual labor back in Egypt, and now they're going to be making these cherubim that are on the Ark of the Covenant, and it's one solid piece with the, the Ark. The, the, the formation of gold, over, everything overlaid with gold, all of this, this exquisite workmanship that these people are to accomplish, and they are able to do it because the Lord equips them to do it. So this is where we need to step out in faith and believe that if the Lord has called us to do something, he will equip us to do it. He will equip us to do it. If the Lord has given you children, the Lord will equip you to raise those children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You need to trust him to do it. You need to be in the, Lord, in, in the word, and you need to walk with him. If the Lord has called you into his body, there's something for you to do here. There are people for you to love. There are ways for you to lay down your life. There are ways for you to serve. The Lord will equip you to meet the need. C-R-E-A, abundance. And this speaks to the abundant provision. So... As, as you know, as they get ready to build a tabernacle, they're going to take a contribution from the people. And, and they're taking from the people 
Um, items, if you look back at 35.5, uh, it says, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And remember, these are people that were slaves. These are people that, as they came out of Egypt, they asked their Egyptian neighbors for these items of value. And because God was at work, the Egyptians gave them. Now, how do, how, do former, how do you expect former slaves to respond to receiving items of great value? We expect them to hold on to those things. We expect them to think, now I've got something of value. I'm not about to surrender this. This is mine now. And look at, look at what they're to give here in verse, at the end of verse 5. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and Yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stone for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Everything of value, the most precious things in their, their possession, offer it up willingly. Now, look at, look at the response. They, they give so much because... Their hearts are moving them. Their hearts are stirred. Look at, look at 36.3 and following. 36.3. They received from Moses, these are the workers, all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses commanded, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution. For, it's enough. You've got to stop. We're not going to be able to use all this stuff. So uh, there is an abundant provision made. Where did this come from? It came from God. It came from God. And, and I think that the people at this point, they're responding to God's generosity to them with worship. They're saying everything that we have is for God's glory. And so God needs the, these things of, of value. Of course we're going to give them. That's what life's about. I don't, I don't think I have to belabor this. Um, you know we have financial needs here at Kenwood. I want to assure you that as we receive contributions... We, we are trying to be about the work of the ministry. And, and I think this is one of the reasons it's great to be a congregational church, because the congregation approves the budget. You guys oversee where the money goes. And what we want to do is we want, we want to be um, frugal, and we also want to be generous, and in, in the sense of we want to leverage everything that we've got for the kingdom of God. We want to go hard after the task of making disciples of all nations. That's what the contributions are for. We want to we do everything that we can to make it so that God's people worship him, walk with him, and do the work that Christ has given to us. These slaves have been enriched, and now they're rendering these free will offerings. So command, uh, as the Lord had commanded, um, the people respond from the heart, God has equipped Bezalel and Aholiab, and there is abundant provision that the Lord has made to the people, that the people render back 
to the Lord, and that brings us to our T, which is uh, the tabernacle. Uh, what they're building is this, this, this tabernacle, and um, um, this tabernacle is, this may sound crazy, but it, it's true, this tabernacle is pointing forward to Christ. And, and I, I hope as we think about these things together, and I hope as we have thought about these things together, this has begun to make more sense to you. Uh, the way in which th there's, there's almost like a, a blurring of the lines between the tabernacle itself and the priest that, that ministers at the tabernacle. And to see that, let me draw your attention to the description of, of the, the garments that the priests are to wear and, and the making of those garments. And um, uh, the re this actually takes us into my next letter, which is I for image. So the T and the I are kind of going together. You've got the T for the tabernacle and then I for the image of God, that is the priest. Let me draw your attention to chapter 39, verse 1. Now listen to these materials out of which the priest's garments are made. It says in 39.1, from the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. So in other words, they make the priest's garments out of the same fabrics used for the making of the curtains of the tabernacle. So that if you were to see the priest standing in front of the tabernacle, you might not, he might just blend in. And, and we've talked in earlier chapters about how when the priest was anointed, he was, he was or well, uh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. When the sacrifices were made to consecrate the priest, the sacrifice was applied to the altar in the same way that it was applied to the priest. And then in these narratives, only the tabernacle and the priest are anointed. So if you look at chapter 40, look at verse um, 9 and following. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle. Verse 10, you shall also anoint the altar. And then verse 12, then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him. He's the, Aaron and his sons are the only people who are to be anointed. And this forges a connection between the priest and the tabernacle. And then you know that on the Day of Atonement, um, when, they, when they cleanse the tabernacle, Aaron first offers sacrifices for himself and then for uh, the tabernacle and later the temple. So there, there's this profound connection between the priest and the tabernacle. And, and, and don't miss this. Look at... Look at uh, chapter 36, and let me draw your attention to the end of verse 13, where it says, and this is talking about the, uh, the curtains of the tabernacle, and it says, he made, the, he made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains one to the other with clasps, so the tabernacle was a single whole. And then look at verse 18. He made 50 clasps of bronze to couple the tent together that it might be a single whole. And then look over at chapter 39 in verse 20, 22 where it says, which on the way to this I'll note, that the same terminology used to describe like the altar being a square and the altar having rings that they run the poles through, that same terminology is used 
for the high pre for the priest's breastplate. It's a square and it's got rings and it's carried in the priest's garments, kind of the same way the altar is to be transported and all this. And then listen to these words in 39, 22, and 23. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue. And the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment with a binding around the opening so that it might not tear. Now, I don't know if these things evoke something else in your mind in the scriptures, but as I read, the, as I read these passages, I couldn't help but think of John 19, verses 23 and 24, where we read this. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And in John's gospel, Jesus has said of himself, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. So I think that Jesus came conscious that he was fulfilling the role of the priests, conscious that he was the fulfillment of the dwelling place of God. The, whole, the, whole, the big idea of the dwelling place of God is this is where God is present with his people. Well, Jesus is God. And, and John writes of him that he has tabernacled among us. So he's come in fulfillment of the dwelling place of God as the place where God is present. And Jesus presents himself. And it's almost like he says, you know how the temple was destroyed when the covenant wrath of God broke out against Israel? Well, that's going to be fulfilled when I get crucified. I'm the fulfillment of the priests. I'm the fulfillment of the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. And just as the wrath of God was poured out on the temple in 586 B.C., the, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on me against the covenant-breaking sin of God's people. And I think that in this, this little note about the clothing of Jesus, John intends his audience to think of the instructions for both the curtains of the tabernacle and the garments that the priests were to wear. So the tabernacle is a, like a small-scale representation of creation. It's pointing back to creation. And it's an anticipation of the way that God would be present with his people. And, of course, at the tabernacle is the altar where their sins are being dealt with. So it's an anticipation of the way that when God came with his people, their sins would be definitively dealt with through the Lord Jesus. So C-R-E-A-T-I, uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how we are being transformed into the same image, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. So uh, the priests are, are imaging God, and, and Christ is the fulfillment of that image, and then we're trying to follow him. That brings us to our O. And our O stands for the word origin, because the completion of the tabernacle is like the completion of creation. So I would invite you to keep a finger here in, at the end of Exodus and, and uh, get a finger back at like Genesis 1 and 2 and compare these statements. I'm going to read first uh, Exodus 39, verse 32. And, and, and I, think that, I think this is intentional. I think that Moses wrote the text this way so that people, as they get to the end of the construction of the tabernacle narrative their minds are drawn back to the completion of the creation narrative. So Exodus 39, 22, 
Thus, all the work of the tabernacle, of the tent of meeting, was finished. Listen to Genesis 2.1. Thus the work, uh, sorry, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And then Exodus 39.43. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them. Genesis 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And then, uh, finally, in, very similar to... Uh, 39, 32, listen to the end of chapter 40, verse 33. So Moses finished the work. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. So the language of the completion of the tabernacle is, is intentionally worded so that it resonates with the completion of the creation. Why? Well, because the world was made. As God's dwelling place. The whole earth was created as the place where God intended to be present with, served by, worshipped by, and enjoyed by his image bearers. That's what the world is for. And now that the world has been defiled by sin, it's like God is engaging in this redemption project, a redo, uh, with the people of Israel. They're almost like a new Adam in a new Eden with a new opportunity to walk with God. So command, response, equipped, abundant provision, tabernacle, image, origin, and finally, listen to, listen to what happens when they, when they complete the project. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now you think about what this means. If the tabernacle is like a symbolic, small-scale version of the creation, what is God saying when he fills the tabernacle with his glory? He's saying this tabernacle anticipates the consummation of all things. This tabernacle anticipates what I am going to do in the world. And as I fill this tabernacle with my glory, I'm giving you a preview of how all things are going to turn out. It continues in verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We're not going to continue into the book of Leviticus. You know, we, we started back in Genesis, and we've gone straight through Exodus. Some of you are thinking, praise the Lord. But Leviticus is awesome. We're going to go to Hebrews, which is almost like Leviticus. Uh, but look over at Leviticus chapter 9. At this point, Moses is unable to enter. The first eight chapters of Leviticus are all about sacrifice. And, and you know, in, at, the end of, at the end of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 17, we read, we read, in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, and then at the beginning of Numbers, you're at the first day of the second month in Numbers 1.1. So it, it kind of creates the impression that the book of Leviticus was given in that month between 
Exodus 40, verse 17, and Numbers 1, 1. And, and the first thing that God gives in Leviticus 1 through 8 are all the regulations about sacrifice. And once those are in place, in, in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, we read, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of, of the Lord appeared to all the people. So at the end of Exodus, they can't enter. But then the sacrifices are, are revealed and instituted, enabling them to enter. Um, so what's my end? My end is the word name. My end is the word name because as the, the glory of God filled the tabernacle, the, the name of the Lord is going to be praised from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting. That is what's going to happen. God is going to bring that about. The only question is whether we're going to be in on it. The only question is the degree to which we're going to be happy about it. And the degree to which we're happy about it and the degree to which we're in on it, those are the degrees to which we embrace the teaching that we hear in places like 1 Corinthians 10. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians when he's, you know, he's talking about these narratives from Exodus. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And I submit to you that you have influence over what you desire. You have influence over what you decide to, decide to think about. And if you are being renewed day by day as you with an unveiled face behold the glory of God in Christ, as you meditate on the scriptures, your desire for evil will diminish. And if you commit scripture to memory and and you confess to brothers and, the sister, and sisters in the church what you struggle with, and you give yourself to the good things that God has given you to do in the context of your, your desire for evil, you will find it, it, it's like somebody will be letting the air out of it. And, and, and the, the tire won't be able to roll. And you may even find yourself trying to get that tire rolling, and it's hard for you to make yourself want to, that's good for you not to want to desire evil. These things took place as examples, examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Um, th there's, this great, there's this great statement um, here. L let me, thinking about what the Lord has given us to do. There's this great statement in Exodus 38 verse 8 where it says that Moses made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women. And then they translate this, who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. But the verb that's used there is the verb that is used for the army of Israel today. It's, you could translate this, who fought. These women, they're, they're, they're doing the service of the tabernacle. But Moses words it like they're going out to battle like they're, they're part of the army. And, and it's, it's as though these women are engaged in the great project, the spiritual warfare, doing what God has given them to do as women, but it's spiritual warfare at the temple. Training yourself not to desire evil 
is part of that spiritual warfare. And then giving yourself to things like, listen to, listen to what Hebrews 13 says about these things. I'm just going to read the, the opening verses of, of Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, our culture wants to suggest that what's adventurous and heroic and daring and these kinds of things is stupid stuff like bungee jumping that is totally irrelevant or, or skydiving or something like that. By which, I mean, okay, so it's a rush, but you accomplish nothing, not unless you're in the, in the military on a mission. I submit to you that these sort of ordinary humdrum things of, of learning not to desire evil, of holding the marriage bed in honor, of, of causing brotherly love to continue, I submit to you that this is daring and courageous and heroic and brave. And I think that the ordinary faithfulness and stick to and perseverance of becoming somebody who is soaked in the scriptures, someone who knows the Bible backwards and forwards, someone who self-sacrificially loves your family and everybody in your life. If you can do, that's, that's better than any, anything that our culture conceives as adventurous or heroic or brave, or dare, or any of these adjectives. So I'm hoping and praying that we will all embrace this vision of building up the church of God, the household of God. This is the pillar and buttress of the truth in the world. This is what God has called us to be and do that we might know him, that he might be present here with us that we might worship him, that we might enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the way that they enlighten us, the way that they call us out of darkness and selfishness and misery. Lord, we pray that you would make us people who, who hear you in the scriptures people who hear your word of command, let there be life. And Lord, we pray that, that this life would come to us and that we would be transformed by it, that light would shine out of darkness. And we ask that you would, we pray that you would do more through us here in, in this congregation in our day than any of us would have dared to hope. And Lord, we pray that hereby you would demonstrate to the powers and the principalities your glory as you transform a, a humble, lowly, seemingly insignificant group of people 
into the temple of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would make your name glorious. And we ask that you do it by the power of your spirit for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen.